released on Sunday, February 15th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 73. In a world. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host. For the second time. Of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Over there, piping in is Amos King saying for the second time because we kind of started the show without me having hit record. Well, now because of that, we've lost all the other hosts and it's just the two of us. They all got mad and quit. <laughs> they said, you're not paying us enough for this sort of tomfoolery and they hung up. <laughs> so now you, you guys are just stuck with me and Amos. So uh, and you missed all of our good witty banner that we didn't record. We did have a lot of great banter, but we decided we can't repeat the same jokes because then it doesn't sound off the cuff and it's not funny. Um, I even sang a little bit of just the two of us. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so one time I did a, a podcast with Avdi Grimm uh, and we recorded the entire podcast and got off the line. And then I get an email from him. He's like, can we reschedule and do this again? Because I, uh, I forgot to hit record. <laughs> it's. It's true. It's sad, but true. I mean, that's one of the like dangers of podcasting is forgetting to hit the record button. I guess Ugh. that's a little better than being on the radio and forgetting to hit the on air button and just playing dead air to the world. Yes, definitely. I think so. I mean, that would be really bad, right? People freak out at radio stations when, when dead air happens. Yeah, maybe, um, I think they get like fined by the uh, FCC for that, but maybe we can set up some way that if you're not recording, you can't hear in the headphones. We'll have to retro on it. Yeah, that'd be weird. Okay. Well, tonight, Amos, I'm going to use you as a guinea pig. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a lightning talk that I'm giving at Agile Link tomorrow night. I'd like to pretend that this is a surprise like we did last time, but it's no longer a surprise. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't pretend. So I'm going to just cut but to the chase. We are giving everybody out here the alpha or beta version of your talk. I guess the alpha is the one that you do at home by yourself. The beta is what you're giving me now. Yeah. The alpha is the one that I do in the bathroom. Is that where you practice your talks? That's where I think I'm up. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I spent a lot of hours there myself. <laughs> I, I think I just crossed that too much information line on a podcast. <laughs> Not for the first time, mind you. I, I don't know that there is such a thing. Oh. The line is a dot to me. It's so far away from. <laughs> well, tomorrow night in St. Louis at the Agile Link, I'm giving a lightning talk. And a lightning talk is you get like five or seven, five to seven minutes is what Jason Tice tells me I have to talk. You know, because he's so concise, Jason and Tice. Jason, is he in charge of this this meeting? No, not at all. Oh, okay. I just like cracking on Jason. So he's not going to cut you off or anything at five to seven minutes? Oh, I'm sure somehow he'll end up in charge of the timer or the stopwatch because he likes that sort of thing. I think we should have a random talk night. This, I, I know that I'm I'm getting sidetracked here, but like a lightning talk night where you have a random amount of time between like three and eight minutes and... 
like at the beginning of the talk tells me how much time you have, but I don't tell you. And I just cut you off whenever, <laughs> whenever your time's up. Like the Grammys, they just cut you off when you're, when your uh, acceptance speech goes too long. <laughs> they start shoving you off the stage. I like that idea though. That sounds like that, that would be fun and challenging. Yeah. Cause you, you need to have, you need to be ready to only talk for three minutes, but also to talk for a full eight. And I think you should have to stand up there for your entire time length, even if you're silent. That'd be like a good, um, a good, a good, what's the right word? Exercise, a good exercise for Toastmasters. Oh, yeah. Hey, Toastmasters, you, listen to Amos you, King. He's got good you, ideas. You guys should pay us for this stuff. This is gold. Gold, baby, gold. <laughs> so, my, uh, so Agile Link, if you're not familiar, if you're not from St. Louis or you don't have one of these in your area, we get together. We have like an hour of networking where somebody supplies some pizza and we hang out, we eat some pizza. And then typically there's like an hour long keynote presenter. And then they have another hour at the end where we break up into different little groups and talk about specific topics. But uh, for this one, we're trying something different. We're going to do some lightning talks and we've got uh, three or four people doing lightning talks. And Jason Tice is one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. Uh, We wanted to try and get Amos to do it, but he's busy on Thursdays. So um, then we're going to, after we do all of our lightning talks, we're going to do lean coffee and have people uh, suggest topics and then do the lean coffee style of conversation where that's where you get a certain amount of time again, Amos, and then everybody uh, does a thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you want to keep talking about this or move on to the next topic? And so it should be fun. It should be very uh, informative, very uh, engaging, and hopefully people will get a lot out of it. Uh, and I, I know that this is going to be too late by the time the podcast comes out, but this is information for me. What time is this meeting? It starts, the networking event starts at six. That's from six to seven. Then the lightning talks will be from seven until about 730. And then they'll do the uh, lean coffee stuff after that. Uh, I might actually make it up there this week. Oh, cool. Well, I think I think I have to take my daughter to St. Louis that night and she'll be busy from like six to nine or something like that. We would, maybe, maybe it's seven to nine. Agile Link would be honored to have Amos King attend. Oh, I would love to be there. All right, so my lightning talk, everyone, as Amos said, you're getting the pre-screening of my lightning talk, is a little bit controversial, you know, as I am one to do, like with my TMI before. (laughs) My talk is called, You Don't Need Scrum Masters and Business Analysts. That's that's a scary thing to to be talking about for some people. I think it will give the the shock factor that I'm hoping for. I want this to be a a uh, thought inspiring piece of performance art. I can't wait to see your performance. I'm gonna be doing a lot of dancing. I'm a dancing <laughs> bear. You know, I'm a big guy. I'll dance like a bear <laughs> with no shirt on. Oh God! <laughs> no one wants to see that. <laughs> Well, I I think that, so I think that this topic, yes, it's controversial. Of course, uh, the idea is for it to provoke thoughts within people and then uh, help them consider this as an idea or as an evolution or something that maybe they can um, try to, try to over time aspire to. I often say to people that, um, you know, perfection is not a, is not a destination. It's a journey. 
that you're never going to you're never going to become perfect but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and take steps towards becoming better we know that you'll never get there but you will you will uh you won't become perfect but you will become better uh, i often see people have little signs in their cubicle spaces that say you know if you sh- if you aim for the stars uh, the, or if you aim for the moon, the worst thing that can happen is that you'll land among the stars. And I kind of don't think that's the actual worst thing that can happen. I mean, you could blow up on the launch pad. That'd be pretty bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So this, uh, this talk, Amos, feel free to jump in at any moment because, you know, this is the dry run. But the, the idea here is that on a team, let's say I've got a team, okay, and uh, an average team has, let's say, seven people on it, and if the blended rate, you know what a blended rate is, Amos? No, I don't. I've Bl- never heard that. Blended rate is a term that a lot of MBAs use uh, when they talk about people and their, and what they cost the company, and they come up with a blended rate, and it's a combination of your salary and your benefits and stuff. Okay, so I'll pick a round number and say that. The so bl- the cost of a resource. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. MBA. It is the cost of a resource. The blended rate is an hourly number that they come up with. And we'll, just for, for, uh, for round number purposes, I'll pick 100 because I don't, I'm not good at math like you. And we'll say that we have seven people on the team. Their hourly rate is $1,000. I mean, $100. So that's $700 an hour, right? I, I really like $1,000 per person better. I want oh, yeah. to work wherever this is. Right. And there are, there are t- approximately 2,000 hours in a, a year, right? So uh, $700 a day. No, $700 an hour times. 2,000 hours a year is $1.4 million. $1.4 million, right. <clears throat> Thank you, Amos. You, you, you run the calculator over there for this, okay? Sounds great. So, Amos, what if I take my Scrum Master and my BA and I, I get rid of them? Now, now, how much is it a year for my project? I go from- $1 million. I go from $1.4 million down to $1 million. That's, that's almost half a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you said it was 1.4. Yep. And I go down to 1 million. Right. And that's, that's about, um, a Cause third. you drop down to $500 an hour. Right. That's about a third less, not, not quite a third, but close to a third of, of the project. Right. Mm-hmm. Or alternately I could take those two slots that I have on my team of seven and I could turn those people into developers as well. And I could gain, some additional um, paddles in the water that are are working towards the same goal. And additional weight. I think that that's an important thing because two additional people does not mean that you're going to get that much more velocity. Yeah. I I just want to reiterate that because that's the resource thing, but that has not to do with your talk today. But I think that we, and you make a good point and I appreciate that because you're helping me work through this. I, I just thought it went well with your analogy that you're adding two more people to paddle, but you're also adding two more people's worth of weight. But I had those two people, right? Because I right. had a scrum master and a BA already. 
So I was kind of dragging some dead weight, so to speak, in my boat. And now I'm taking... Are you saying that those two don't do anything? Well, no. So <laughs> that's, that's where the, that's the sticky point of this conversation is I don't want it to seem like uh, scrum masters and BAs don't do anything because I am a scrum master. Um, I, I definitely feel like I have value to the team. I also feel like the BAs that I work with have value. But if you were to draw a Venn diagram of the work that, two things, if you were to draw a Venn diagram of the work that everybody does, and if you were to draw a value stream map of all of the things that we do to create software, valuable software for our users, let's talk about the value stream map first. I think that there's going to be very few points on the value stream map that you would equate back to a business analyst or a scrum master that are the high value items to the customer. Would you agree with that, Amos? In my experience, yes. Because the scrum master, of course, is there to help keep the team focused on the vision, help the team stay, keep their process on the rails, and remove blockers. Right. What are some other things you think a scrum master is doing? Um, the, those are like, I think you hit the really big ones. Yeah, those are the big uh, ones. Sometimes they're, I, I think that they can act as a, uh, like a retrospective facilitator almost. That's a good um, point. When, especially like in an impromptu retrospective situation. Like we just finished stand up, but during stand up, we realized that there's something we need to talk about now. Yeah. You know what else I forgot? Here's another thing that a scrum master does is that they do some of the administration, administrative minutia work. Like if, if uh, Joe and the PMO needs to get a status update every week from your project, or if, uh, you know, somebody needs to get uh, a new user ID, sometimes a scrum master does some of that administrative sort of blocking and tackling for the team. So let's talk about what the business and and I think we could agree that, well, I'll come back to that point. Let's talk about what the business analyst does. Mm-hmm. So there's, <clears throat> there's some business analysis work, talking with users, collecting information about features, collecting feedback on uh, released features, writing, helping write stories, writing stories, writing acceptance criteria. Um, what else? You want to chime in with any other things that you think are... Uh, stuff that a business analyst does on a team? Uh, I've always looked at the business analyst as the person that you go to when you have a problem uh, understanding maybe a story. Um, yeah. And, and you know, uh, they're the, they talk to engineers and, <laughs> and they also talk to the customers. Well, they don't directly talk to the engineers. They have a secretary that does that. <laughs> I'm a people person. Can't you see uh, that? <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, sometimes I've actually seen that as what the BA does. Like they never actually talk to developers uh, or rarely. Uh, and other times the BA is very embedded with the team. Um, but yeah, I, I see them as a lot of the person who's supposed to understand everything so that they can answer the questions of the developments. Side. Right. And then in a, in a very domain heavy uh, software development group, 
that could be extremely valuable because oftentimes a business analyst will work as like the proxy for a product owner. So if the product owner is not available, uh, frequently available, and the and the and the BA is very knowledgeable about the business domain, then the then often the business analyst can answer questions in the product owner's stead and make explanations on behalf of the product owner. So if there was something where you were, you know, in doing some rocket science work um, for NASA and you needed, you needed somebody to explain the physics and the, and the math behind some of the calculation work that you were doing, you know, and you had a, you had a, a domain, a domain heavy BA that knew a lot about physics and, and rocket science, then that person would bring, bring a great amount of value to the team because they'd be able to help explain some of those science aspects. So I'm arguing here in the case for a business analyst because, and for a scrum master, because what I'm about to say is the opposite of that. And that is that I think the team following a whole team approach and using some specific tactics can absorb all of the responsibilities of the scrum master and the BA and can become more efficient as overall as a team as a result. And the way that they do this is that I think that you, we talk about this all the time with the whole team approach, right? That anybody should be able to write a story. Anybody should be able to help unblock something. And this is, I think, the ultimate manifestation and evolution of that conversation of whole team approach. What do you think, Amos? I, I completely agree. Like the most well-functioning teams that I've seen and, and most understanding is why do you need a go-between between a developer and everyone else if all of the developers have uh, a shared understanding, which is what we're after anyway, then there's less need for someone who is a dedicated as a VA uh, and that the whole team kind of shares that responsibility and then they can ask each other and have discussions and usually come up with better ideas anyway. Yeah. And I, I, I come up with this from experience. I mean, I, I've been on teams where I've worked as, as a developer slash coach, you know, back in the, back in the early days of, of baseball and back in the early days of professional hockey, you, you would very often find teams that had player slash coaches they were both a player and a coach and right and i've i've done that before on on agile software teams where i've been both a developer and a coach and, so, and that's the way i always work i knew that and that's why i'm glad i could speak with you about this today because i know that's how exactly how you operate you are kind of that you're you're the you're the evolution of me <laughs> I'm not I'm not an agile coach. This comes from Craig who told me like he pointed this out. He said you're not an agile coach, you're an agile practitioner who comes in and works with a team in order to help them see the next level. And I think a team can have a lot of people that fit the profile that you're in Amos where you you know a lot about agile, you're a developer, you're a good developer, and so a team could have a lot of those people and that 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 responsibility for like keeping the agile process on the rails could be shared across a number of different people on the team who are also able to contribute to the forward progress of completing stories and completing work from the backlog. And then 
take that to the next level with the, the business analysts as well, right? I mean, you can write uh, user stories. You can talk to users. You can help test. You can, um, what are some of the other things that we talked about? You can, you can create documentation if documentation needs to be created for something. There's the point being that Amos, you as an agile practitioner and me as an agile practitioner on a team, we can, we can develop and we can do those other things as well. Well, and the best way to lead is by example. So if you're sitting on the team and helping out, do everything that everyone else on the team is doing, then you can lead by example. I think that's a great point. And I agree with that point because I always try to lead by example on the teams that I'm on. And even if I don't uh, specifically, if I haven't specifically been asked to do it, I will try to pitch in and help with testing. I will try to help with writing user stories. Uh, again, to epitomize what's what's a good behavior for the people on the team. You know, even if allowed, I'll I'll try and pitch in and help with some development. But oftentimes, the developers chase me away with big sticks. <laughs> you can come develop with me, John. Thanks, Amos. Uh, so I think this is evolutionary because you're you're able to use more of the people on your team to accomplish more of the work. So you you can't necessarily, with a typical business analyst, take them and say. Hey, business analyst, I want you to write code. Most business analysts that I've worked with aren't, um, haven't been technical. A lot of times they're, uh, not that they're not smart, because every business analyst that I've worked with has been smart, but they're just not technical. They're not developers. They didn't come up as developers. They, um, they maybe worked in the business and transitioned to IT to be a domain expert and then a business analyst. And, scrum, and there are even some scrum masters that I've, worked with that have been business analysts, they've been project managers, they've been um, regular managers, and then they've, they've now become scrum masters. And so they also are in a position where they can't put an oar in the water and help propel the boat. Some of the, the best um, BA, non, non-developer BA, I won't say non-technical, but non-developer BAs that I've worked with have been acting on the team both as a BA and a QA, which I think is fantastic because the person who is supposed to be understanding everything is also the person that's testing everything. That's a very good point. And uh, th- that's something that I'll, I'll try to mention tomorrow and when I actually do this talk is that that's another step in this evolution is if you're not ready to give up BAs on your team today, one thing that you can evolve towards is uh, creating a dual role of business analyst slash quality analyst. Um, but anyway, on on teams that I've seen be on teams where I've seen people on the teams where that I've been involved in where this has been a success, it's been because everyone took this approach that all of these jobs that the team had to accomplish to create the software, they were everyone's job and they were no one's job at the same time, right? So it wasn't like, you, Amos, your job is to do this. My job is to do this other set of things and they don't cross over. And, and I think one of the great benefits to the crossing over there is that um, if everybody's sharing in the responsibility of this, I think the communication overhead actually drops. If you have one person or two people like that are BAs and it's their job to communicate all those things, then everyone else is trying to talk to them all the time and answer questions where when it's a shared responsibility, it 
like I feel like more people, it's usually more than one person that knows the answer and that communication is spread out among the team. And so you spend a lot less time just talking about it. And it's a, it's an efficiency, right? Because it breaks down that, I mean, that joke that you made quoting the lines from office space about, well, I get the specs from the customers and I go and take them to the developers. I mean, that's an inefficient process because it goes through trans, the translation of another human being. It's the telephone game. It's exactly the telephone game. And something gets lost in that, in the process of that translation. You know, couldn't the customers just bring the specs to the developers themselves? That's, that's why it's a joke because it's just so obvious that it's something that, yes, that could happen. You can do that and it's more efficient to do so. Um, so what do you do if you're, in, if you're in this situation and you want to evolve? How do, you, how do you evolve? And I think the way that you start to evolve is that you have to first start establishing that you, you want to make this evolution. It's not going to be right for all organizations, certainly, and there's going to be people that uh, are entirely against it. I, I know and have worked with developers in the past that they love to be developers. They just love being developers. They want to be there in front of that keyboard, and they want to write code for eight hours every day with their headphones on, rocking it, and kicking out the best code they can. So a person like that who wants to just be narr very narrowly focused on somebody giving them some stories or a spec and going and banging it out, they may not be the best choice for uh, to be developers on a team where you're not going to have a scrum master and you're not going to have a BA. So you have to start hiring, I think, and, and, uh, and developing your developers in a way that's going to help them grow into the position where they can be both scrum master and developer. They can be both developer and analyst. And I remember when I was starting out in this business, developer slash analyst was a very common position. It seems like we somewhere along the line split the two things. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, it was that way too. Um, well, actually I started where they were separate. And then moved to where everything was combined. Uh, if you were going to be a business analyst or even like a scrum master, you were also expected to be a developer. And then uh, now I've seen like where it's starting to diverge again. Um, and I'm not and I'm not sure why. And I haven't seen the benefit beh behind splitting those apart. It's one of those things that I think you when you look organizationally uh especially with big companies big companies are very good at breaking jobs down into little bitty pieces and creating specialists because they think that that's an efficiency right they think that having a bunch of people that are very good at writing requirements is an efficiency because they're very good at writing requirements and we need requirements written therefore I'll create a group of people who are very good at doing that. So and I, I guess for me, it's really easy to think of it not in that way because I'm a big fan of things like pairing and um, stuff like that, that spreads that responsibility out. And I'm trying not to have specialists. I want people who are very broad. Um, and so 
I feel like you're siloing that too, just by making a BA. Right. And I think that this is back to one of the reasons why I always pick on MBAs is because this is something that I think they probably teach you in, in, in business school is about creating efficiencies by creating specializations and roles within an organization. That sounds like a class in an MBA program, right? <laughs> it might be. When the I reality, wish Tice was here. Right, exactly. I miss him. Which the reality is, and what we've learned from the lean approach to working with software that has been adapted from the lean approach to manufacturing automobiles, was that it was a bad idea to have people on an automobile manufacturing line that could only attach the windshield wiper assembly to the hood of the car. Because if that's all you know how to do, and all of a sudden we're out of people in the put the wheels on the car department, then you've got, you're stuck. You can't do any work, right? Right. The line has to stop. We have no wheel assemblers today. We only have the people that do all the other jobs. So they realize that if we cross train people and everybody has the capability to do all of the jobs, then all of these people are very portable. They're not resources. (laughs) Yay! But that they are more portable, and then we are more efficient as an organization. Um, oftentimes, I think I've even mentioned it on the show before. I do an exercise uh, that is intended to explain how the whole team approach is more effective, and I ask one group of people to write words, and certain letters in those words can only be written by another person in their group, and then the other group, I say. You can write all of the letters with your right hand except for these letters, and you have to write these letters with your left hand, right? Mm -hmm. And the group that can write all of the letters with their right hand and has to write some of the letters with their non-dominant hand, I'm being right-hand dominant, prejudiced, yeah. (laughs) Uh, They don't necessarily do a great job of writing those other letters with their left hand because they're not used to doing that, but they still are able to do it with enough quality that I can read it. And they're always faster than the group that has to share work responsibilities and hand their, some of their letters off to be written by other people. So this is, this efficiency is you have a whole team now of people that can do all of the jobs on that team. And there's no, there's no, uh, oh, I need so-and-so to do the status report, or I need so-and-so to help me unblock this issue, or I need Joe to help me write this user story. It's like, no, you don't. You all do that. There's no, there's no blocker. There's no waiting. We just get the stuff done. Is that crazy talk? I, I, I don't think so. Am like, I going to get I've... booed off the stage at Agile Link tomorrow night? Uh, I, I think... don't know. I don't know what your audience is. I think all the uh, BAs are going to uh, attack me with pens and pencils. I think it depends on if they're BAs that are confident that they can handle more than one job. Well, I fear that of all the people in, the, in, this, in this category that, no, I guess I don't. It, it's, it's equally challenging for both, for both roles, for scrum masters and BAs to try and retool themselves. But so what I would propose as you're trying to evolve is to start to find people that can be multifunctional in terms of doing, being good with agile, 
right? And being good developers and of course being a decent person that can get along with others um, and start to hire that way. And then if you, as you're transitioning, I think what you do is you take your best scrum masters, you take your best business analysts that you have today and you, you start to offer them the ability to retool. You take that whole group of people and you start to offer them the abilities to retool and you make it apparent to them that, hey, we want to evolve as an organization. We want to stop having scrum masters and we want to stop having BAs. And here's how we're going to go about it. And then you start to offer those folks opportunities to expand themselves and to take on other opportunities. And and you also need to work with the other side of that, the people who are just developers or just QA and start spreading, teaching them these other responsibilities too. Excellent point, Amos. You have to, you have to offer the same opportunity on the development side to expand the knowledge there. And then what you end up with is a group of people that they still have a specialization, right? There's always going to be a person that's very good as a developer and they need some help with writing user stories, but they can do it. And so you start, you can then, as you're making this trans- transition, I think what you can do is take some of these scrum masters and some of your BAs and turn them into agile coaches or turn them into quality assurance coaches or business domain coaches as an interim role until you age out is not the right term, but mature out of the need for those coaching roles any longer. So as you're, as you're evolving and as you're bringing your teams up to speed on self-organi- self-organizing around all of these additional jobs and responsibilities that they have now, you've got some coaching staff there to help in the interim to get them through. Your business analyst coaches can go in and they can help with best practices around talking to customers, collecting feedback, doing uh, analysis work, writing stories, etc. Same thing with the scrum masters. They go in as an agile coach. They help make sure that the teams are keeping their agile process on the rails. Maybe they provide some retrospective facilitation, which was a good point, Amos, that you offered. Uh, and do other things to help with the the uh, agile running of the agile processes on the team. I think the real point here is that no man is an island. When it just comes right down to it, I was trying to find another way to segue into singing a song, <laughs> but I failed. I, I I thought about it, but then I w- I thought better. <laughs> so if you were going to play, there are some, there are some jobs that I shouldn't do. Singer is one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We did include some of your singing in a show at one point. I know I was really depressed. Uh, whenever somebody told me that they found it <laughs> and tweeted about it. Now, if you were going to play devil's advocate, what would, what would your arguments, could you come up with some arguments against this? Oh, John, you're, you're completely off your rocker because. We can't, that can't possibly work. Here's why. Because the business analysts have years of experience looking at these single problem domains that they're responsible for. And why, why is that important? Well, because we move our developers around a lot more than our business analysts and our business analysts just have years and years of knowledge built up and they don't have, they like the developers don't have to know all that when they're moving around all the time. Right. 
And so, so we have an experience problem that like we have lots of experience with these guys solving these problems. And so the developers don't have that level of experience and they have great levels of experience in writing software and solving those kind of problems. So they just need to stick to their problems and the BAs need to stick to their problems. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that there are cases where I mentioned like NASA and rocket science. Uh, There are some other cases I might be able to think of, like maybe the medical profession. Like if we were creating a, like a Da Vinci style robot that helped a doctor, um, you know, cut into a patient and some things like that. So here's my problem. Yeah. Even when given, given solutions and ideas and learning from a BA, the developer still has to learn it. Well, the the developer does solve the problem. The developer does to some extent have to learn it. Yeah. To me, you're just adding another, another layer, uh, that you have to get through in order to solve that problem because the developer ultimately still has to solve the problem. Right. Somehow they're not, if they're not understanding the problem, then it, it usually gets kicked back by QA anyway. We're going to, we're still going to blow up a rocket on the launch pad or, or cut into the wrong side of the patient's body with the robot or whatever's going to happen because they, they ultimately, the developer still did not understand what needed to be implemented. Yep. And so I think the developer needs to be the BA and the BA needs to be the developer. And if we need expertise, as you described, domain expertise, let's get somebody from the business to come over for a period of time and educate us on it. Not just educate the business analyst or the scrum master, educate the team, right? And and then the team can help educate each other and continue to grow around that. Yeah, that's one of the things that, and maybe not everybody likes this, <clears throat> but one of the things I love about being a consultant on teams is that I get to go around to these different businesses and learn about all this cool stuff that they do where it's like, oh my God, I never imagined that somebody would have to solve that problem. And it's cool to see how they do it and learn about it. It is. And then once you've also spread that on the whole team, you don't have somebody like normally I've never seen a team that has equal number of business analysts and developers, right? It's usually one or two business analysts and four to 20, 30, 40 developers. I've seen 40 was much, but I've seen it. Um, And so you have this bottleneck. If there are questions, everybody bottlenecks and waits for the BA and they don't really go to everybody else. Actually, usually they end up going to everybody else anyway, but it's still bottlenecks at the BA. So they're already doing part of that job of communicating this all around because of the bottleneck that they have. So let's just eliminate that bottleneck and make it everybody's responsibility. Okay, let me play devil's advocate to you for a second. Well, I don't want I don't want to unleash all of my developers onto the user population. It should be control. It it's controlled. When I have a business analyst, it's controlled, and it all goes through one person. You're wrong. <laughs> how, how did I do? <laughs> um, sorry, I I had been planning that from the very beginning of whenever you said okay, and now I'll be devil's advocate. Um, so 
developers, if you want them to develop the right thing for the users, the best thing is for them to hear from the users and to get their actual feedback or to watch the users use the software. I am a big fan of having developers go and sit with your support team if you have that kind of group for a couple weeks before they start working uh, or to be able to sit with customers and watch what's going on. Um, and as long as you are trying to hide your developers from your end users, then your developers will never truly understand what the end users need. Would you hide your designer from your end users and maybe make them only talk to a BA? Oh, no. I guess, I guess what people fear is that all of a sudden I'm going to, I'm going to release seven developers onto a group of users and then they envision that all seven of those developers are going to spontaneously start having one-off conversations with all of these users and, and taking them away from their, uh, their daily responsibilities and overwhelming them with questions. So they're, they're bugging them too much. Bugging them too much, which is never which, going to happen. And, and the business analyst needs to bug them just as much if the developers have those problems. Uh, so, well, because no matter how many years your business analyst is doing this, unless they're continuing to talk to current users of the software, they're not going to do any better because the users change over time too. Their needs change, what works better for them, user interfaces that they're used to, what their expectations are of the software. Yeah. Well, here, here's, so, a, here's another one that you'll like, Amos, another devil advocate uh, conversation. Well, I need a single neck to choke on this team. I quit. <laughs> right. Like, I, I, I don't have much of an argument for that other than you are a horrible and terrible human being. And you know I've heard that before. Uh, in those words, that's really bad. Uh, and they always laugh and they're like, well, you know what I mean. But yeah, they want, they want someone to throw under the bus. And, uh, you know, as as the team um, becomes more responsible uh, for the final product, like as a whole, I'm not saying like we take responsibility, but as the it is their responsibility as a whole, the better that team can move to make those things better when they do go wrong. And it's not just about who to throw under the bus and it's not just about having a literal single person to choke or single neck to choke as the, as the saying goes. And it's a horrible saying, by the way, uh, what it really means is that this person wants one person as their contact point. They want a relationship with one person on the team who is that person that they reach out to when they have a question or they have a problem or they want a status um, what else they want, uh, they want to find out what's going on today with the project. They want to reach out to that one person. In this case, I'm talking about mainly a scrum master and say, what's going on? What's the status? But it could be a BA as well. So they, I agree with you though, regarding the, uh, if you're looking for a single person to blame, I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I might have a discussion with you about that, but I'm pretty much done. It really kills me. Um, yeah, Isn't I don't it, even know how to respond. I mean, saying I want to, let's say I take this, 
the single neck to choke out of it, right? <clears throat> Let's just say I say, I want a single individual that I talk to on this team to get the information out of that I need to do, to do my job as Mr. Uh, program Manager in the department. That's inefficient, right? Well, it is. It's bottlenecking again, because again. what if that person's busy? Uh, it's lazy. Uh, or yeah, and it is lazy and you're not getting to know the team. So they, they don't have trust in you. And what happens whenever that person quits or goes on vacation? I mean, quits right. is the extreme example, right? Yep. And then they go on. Well, yeah, let's say they just went on vacation and now for, for two weeks to a month, you have to go talk to the rest of that team that has never had an experience with you and has very little trust with you. And you have very little trust with them. And you have to learn how to communicate together. In, the, in one of the teams where I had this exact experience, Amos, you just, you just rang a bell in my, in my psyche about this because I remember that team. When there, was, when there was no single point of contact, our team had such rich relationships with our, our product person who was infrequently around, mind you, uh, that each individual person on the team had had to have created a relationship with him because uh, because there wasn't there wasn't a single point of contact. So when this guy came over, he was engaging with all of the people. We were engaging back with him uh, and we had established lines of communication with him and he would reach out to any of us at any time, sometimes some more than others. But he always knew he could he could email, call, stop by, whatever. And and speak with anyone on the team to get information that he wanted or to share information that he had and be confident that the team would, would, would catch that information or provide the information in the way that he needed it. It was very efficient and we did great work and, and managed to, and got along, I mean, better than most teams that I've worked with. Well, and when they stop by and they'll ask the whole team a question, it's faster too, because they get feedback from everybody on it. And the people who know what's going on, give them feedback and they're not just getting one person's opinion or they're not getting the BA who then goes back and tries to talk to everybody. So you're, you're spreading that out. Again, it's a more efficient means of the communication. It cuts out that telephone game. I've been in meetings before where, where somebody's like, well, I think that the developer said this about that thing and I'll have to get back to you because I can't remember. I didn't understand it. So, (laughs) you know, so that, that was a wasted communication opportunity. If we had just had the conversation with the entire team, that person could have said, Oh, Hey, here's the thing that I was talking about. And this is what it was. Yeah. And that's the, that's the same thing that I've had when I've had people called project managers that are, are the only people that talk to the customer is the same kind of thing. Like they come back and they tell you, and then the next day they come back and tell you, Oh no, wait, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Or you get to the demo and you demo it to the customer and the customer's like, no, that's not what I wanted. This is what I wanted. And they spell it out. And that guy's like, Oh yeah, that is what they said. I misunderstood. I, or I, or I forgot by the time I got back to you guys. Right. So can we live in a world without scrum masters and without business analysts? Absolutely. In a world without scrum masters. I, I think so too. That was a good, uh, a good impersonation. 
where BAs are a thing of the past. I wish I had some dramatic music to put behind it. <laughs> I think so too, but is it, it seems like a, it seems scary, I think, for people, doesn't it? I, I think that people are afraid of losing their jobs or afraid that they won't be good at this new way to work. Um, and change is scary and letting go of control is scary. Uh, so when you're asking people to give up a little bit of control on what they have, or at least it appears that way, then it, it scares them. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that letting go is, is hard to do. Uh, change is always hard for people to accommodate and to grapple with. But I do think that if, if we are able to start to work down this path as, as a discipline, as a software development, with software development as a discipline, if we're able to work down this path, I think we can do a couple of things. I think we can make our teams more efficient and effective. I think we can reduce some overhead that we have artificially created in organizations. And I think that we can end up serving our customers better in the long run if we start to work towards this today. Thank you for your time, Agile Link. That's the longest lightning talk I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So now I just have to find a way, Amos, to compress that down into seven minutes. All right. I'm up for the challenge. This week's hottest picks. Amos, you're up first with your picks this week. All right. So uh, I, I have two picks. One of them is Flux or F.LUX. Uh, I found this program for my Mac that um, as time goes on throughout the day, Uh, My screen gets a little more of an orange color to it toward the evening uh, and even more orange toward the night. And I found out that it helps me uh, relax a little bit and also makes my eyes hurt a little bit less if I end up on my computer later at night like I am tonight. Um, And then the other um, pick that I have. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Before you go on, isn't it isn't it configurable where you can like. Uh, adjust these settings so that you could have it do things also in the morning and and, yeah, mine, and some other customizations like that to help help you get up or wake up or get going and then yeah i i played with a little bit uh it has some like a built-in most used um that it, it works out really well for me i like toyed with a little bit and then just went back to the the default and it's been really nice cool um now you do have to have administrator privileges on your mac in order to install it uh and it is not available in the store i will uh, make sure that there's a link in the show notes uh and then my other um choice is boredom and the reason why i'm picking boredom is i was listening to new tech city and i also did some research on boredom uh we need to be bored. Put down your phone. Uh, don't don't play games on your phone when you go to the bathroom because you do your best invention and problem solving whenever your brain is given the ability to wander. And even when you're playing 
mindless games, your mind is still engaged enough that it doesn't wander as well. Yeah, and as I said before, that's where I write all my lightning talks. Is in the bathroom? Right. <laughs> Perfect. I'm afraid of boredom, if I can be honest with you for a second. I have a really hard time with it. Why? Uh, that's the million dollar question, man. It's just my, it's just my crazy, my craziness. Like if I, if I sit still, I'm trying to do meditation. So I'm trying to come to grips with my inability to relax and become, let myself be bored. Uh, so if you're, if you're, uh, if you're into boredom and you want to encourage boredom or the results of letting your mind relax, you should also try meditating. That's a good pick. Those are some good picks, though, Amos. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right. My pick this episode is something called Dot Storming. And I was looking for, I have a few people that I'm working with right now where we're, they're, they're remote. Um, and it, it's, it's really, really tough doing retrospectives with remote participants. The place I work, though, just bought these awesome, um, smart boards that are incredible and you can do some awesome retrospective activities with these smart boards, but the smart boards are like 13 grand. So I'm not going to pick smart boards that are 13 grand on this agile life. Oh, why not? Well, okay. There you go. Smart boards. <laughs> or, or you can use this thing called dot storming and it's just a good way to um, put like sticky, bo- sticky posts or ideas or suggestions, insights, you know, the things that you come up with during retrospectives into a virtual space and then give people the opportunity to dot vote on them. So if you have connected people or you just want to try this uh, online in your group, you know, where, where does everybody want to go to lunch today? You can use it for stuff like that. Uh, give dot storming a try. And that is my pick for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening in today and for uh, helping Amos and I talk through my lightning talk for Agile Link. I hope I see a lot of you at Agile Link on Thursday night. Amos, I hope I see you there, too. I hope I can make it, John. I will try my best. All right. Thanks, everybody. Check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This agile life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.